When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Waiting for Next Year's Cavs Cast. We're part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This is your host, Seth, and joining me again tonight, you can read his work on Write Down Euclid, listen to him daily at Locked On Cavs, follow him on Twitter at AmNotEvan. Evan Darmo is joining us again. Evan, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. We were talking briefly before this, and I know... You were writing late last night, a little sleepy. So we're going to keep it nice and tight tonight, right? I mean, I'm happy to talk Cavs with you whenever you want to, man. It's just last night's game, um, it was cool. I was talking about it on Locked on Cavs quite a bit. Like, it was cool to be in that environment, in the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, just setting, just listening to like that playoff caliber atmosphere. You could feel the roof really come off the place at times, just when Donovan Mitchell making some buckets and just playing his butt off towards the end of the game. But yeah, I'm excited. And me staying up late writing was my own fault because I kept putting off this story for such a long time. And I'm like, you know what? I promised Thursday and I have to sit down and do some actual number crunching and research. And that was that was the bulk of it. And then thankfully, Jared Allen and the the very seldom soft, the seldom spoken Evan Mobley gave me enough quotes to work with that I could make it work. I love it. We're, we're truly getting May basketball in November right now. It, it's almost, I feel almost like guilty in a way because we've seen two of the best games of the entire NBA season just within the past couple of days. So it's it's been an absolute treat. And since the last time Evan and I got to talk to folks that are listening, the Cavaliers have gone 3-0. and uh, they've moved to six and one on the season. They're in second place behind only the undefeated Milwaukee Bucks. They are third in net rating. Um, we're not going to go into detail for each game, but obviously they're two and zero against Boston over the past roughly week or so. Uh, mm-hmm. They won a great game over the Knicks, in which they had a Cavalanche in the fourth quarter, uh, where they kind of played like like crap, <laughs> Evan. I think for yeah. chunks of that Knicks game, but that fourth quarter, I. I think they outscored the the Knicks thirty seven to fifteen. Um, just you know, a- any takeaways from uh, we'll we'll keep the Boston game fresh for a moment. We can talk about that in a second. Any takeaways from the f- initial Boston and or Knicks game? Uh, the the Knicks game especially the the fact that the Cavs took fifty three pointers still boggles the mind quite a little bit. Um, it was fun to see it happen. I think more than anything, if you just want to look at both games as just a, a single package, uh, the Cavs won in two very different ways at the end of the day. Like against New York, like I mentioned, they took a lot of three-pointers and they made the majority of them. They played to how New York was defending them, which was packing the paint, kind of daring Cleveland to outshoot them. And Cleveland gladly accepted the challenge there. And then when it comes to Boston, at least, we can talk about it more. But um it was more so a little bit less three-point shooting. It was more so just kind of grinding it out at times, then finding rare opportunities to get easy looks inside the basket. They, I believe, outscored Boston 52 to 40-something in the paint um, on Wednesday night. So, like, it was a really fun game and just two, stylistically two very different tones for the Cavs. And I think them being so multifaceted in the ways and how they can win games is very encouraging uh, this early into the season to say, like, okay, 
this Cavs team is a little more adaptive and reactive to how teams are playing them. And it kind of makes them a little bit more unpredictable when they kind of start figuring out like what their true strengths are probably about mid season. Mm -hmm. That Knicks game. I mean, you got contributions all over the bench, Kevin Love, um, you know, Dean Wade. I mean, the, these guys that you maybe didn't anticipate early on are, are having uh, taken a lot of shots, playing huge and in, in certain games without Darius Garland. And then exactly to your point, um, last night's game in which the Cavs won 114 to 113, their bench really did nothing. The Boston Celtics hit 26 of 27 free throws. There was a lot of stuff going against Cleveland last night, and for them to just figure out a way to get it done, whether it was Donovan Mitchell making tough shots or obviously Darius Carlin just having an absolute hell of a game uh, coming back, his first game back. Um, just the, the different ways they found – the different ways in which they found uh, to win so far this this young season has been really impressive. Um, and speaking of of last night's game, uh, your your player of the game. I know it's a little cliche, but I just want to focus in on that game a little bit more. So, do you have a certain player of the game you'd want to shout out for last night? Uh, it's definitely. I mean, obviously Darius Garland playing through the fact uh, that his eye still isn't one hundred percent. Like, definitely deserves kudos and its flowers. But I think it's Donovan Mitchell, without a doubt in my mind. Like Mitchell just played awesome. I think you really noticed it in the fourth quarter in overtime. Like his motor just does not turn off. And I asked JD Bickerstaff about this post game, and Bickerstaff said he he's wired to win games like this and he you can tell like he doesn't want to lose like he's going out there and trying to kill the opposition whenever he can and like you notice it in the fourth quarter because like a lot of boston's defenders were looking a little bit more gassed or like jason tatum on offense kind of heaved up a three-point shot that just he shouldn't have taken when the celtics probably should have gotten a much cleaner look at the end of the day but it's not just that it's the two-way impact like we can talk about donovan mitchell's Offensive accolades, I think he's been elite. I don't think the he, he's been the early season MVP for Cleveland so far. And mm -hmm. you just watch him play and operate the way he does. It's awesome. But it's just more so like I keep pinpointing and noticing like he, he played really, really, really great defense on Jason Tatum and the end of the overtime period that resulted in I believe either Tatum or Brown just heaving up that a three-pointer that just didn't go in. And it kind of swung the difference back into Cleveland's favor. So yeah, just Donovan Mitchell's been dynamic for the Cavs. He's exactly what I think they hoped for and then some because Bickerstaff was asked about this. Like, is this what you expected when you got him? He's just like, no, I'll be frank. Like, he keeps surpassing the expectation every game. But he was great, man. But who was who was who stood out for you more than anybody? And at least against Boston. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'll, I'll go with the cheapy answer of Darius Garland. I, I wanted to be contrarian and, and somehow force feed it to Dean Wade because I was so impressed with the effort he gave last night on, on certain defenders. Or I'm sorry, defending certain players like Tatum and Brown. But yeah, I thought um, Darius Garland, you know, I think I, I took for granted a little bit while Donovan Mitchell is, is playing the best regular season basketball he's probably ever played, the cohesiveness that Darius has with the bigs and Mobley and Allen, it's just so damn fun to watch. So m more so than anything else, I think Donovan Mitchell, to your point, closed that game. He, he went absolutely off in the fourth quarter to, to force it um, into overtime. I really missed just the cohesiveness and, and the uh, you know all the reps that that Garland has with, with his bigs. It was just fun to watch. And, and – one other point I thought I wanted to make for last night's game. I thought it was the Jared Allen played well. I think he went 14 and 14, but man, he, it was a physical, 
physically tough game for him. I thought he was he got hit a lot. He's not the biggest complainer in the league, and he I think I saw his arms flail up three or four different times. He had that really bad offensive foul call uh, late in the fourth quarter where he kind of ran over smart after he didn't get contact. So that, that was one thing I was curious about with obviously with, with Boston not having Robert Williams thought, okay, mm-hmm. this is probably a pretty big Jared Allen game. And I think Boston did a pretty good job of just trying to trying to be physical with him, trying to force him off certain spots. I, that was one takeaway for me was without Robert Williams, I expected, um, you know, kind of a huge Jared Allen game. He played well, but I thought they were pretty physical with him. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. Like, I, I noted this on La- or Thursday's Locked on Cavs, rather, that – Boston did a good job making Jared Allen look uncomfortable at times. I think they played them very physically. The last two minute report came out that noted that uh, Grant Williams did foul Allen a couple times to try to prevent him from getting position and either beneath the basket or in the post. But, you know, this calls, you can't really complain about it too much, especially when you're on the winning side of things. But um, yeah, no, Allen did look uncomfortable. And I think it's just because Boston just like Al Horford can play the center spot, but he more so plays the four for Boston at times. And I think that kind of just makes him uncomfortable a little bit just because you're throwing smaller guys against Allen. And then the Celtics are a little bit able to play with a bit more pace and space and just really operate and facilitate really well on either end of the floor. And it's interesting to think about because the Cavs do have to play Boston again. They could play them in the playoffs as well, but they do have Robert Williams out there. Like stylistically, that is a bit of a tonal shift and it, it does change some of the matchups and just how things operate and function. Because I, I agree. I thought for sure, like Allen would have been like a high impact player in both of these games against Boston because the Celtics just aren't a good uh, team in terms of just boxing out and, and offensive rebound opportunities. And maybe the Cavs get a lot of second chance opportunities and wreak havoc in the paint. And they did, especially in the third quarter. You saw Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley being the biggest benefactors of that, of course. But it's just more so you notice like Allen like was a factor, but he wasn't like a major factor. And I think that's more testament to JB Bickerstaff pressing the right buttons and knowing like, hey, probably can't play Allen down the stretch. We'll just stick with Evan Mobley because he can give you some defense, playmaking, some spacing if you want him to. And there's some interesting stuff, but also like Allen can be a functional player because he is hitting free throws at a reliable clip this season. So like, you can't like have to like pull him off the floor in clutch situations like you would with like Shaq or Dwight Howard. Like obviously two different monsters in their own right compared to Jared Allen, just because those are like hall of fame talents at the end of the day. But like having a guy who isn't a liability, but also can provide you defense and rebounding is paramount. And it is interesting because I did think he was going to have a bigger game against Boston, but alas, it, it's not the end of the world because the Cavs won. Yeah. All, all is well with the Cavaliers win. And, one other guy who who played very well last night, obviously Darius Garland. Um, I think this is, I, you know, I don't like when people make the statement of, uh, oh, people think this because like one person sees something on Twitter and then they go, oh, I can't believe Cavs fans think this. But I did see some just nonsense about you know, how Darius Garland was going to potentially negatively impact, um, you know, the lineup because Donovan Mitchell was playing so well. And I, I was very happy um, just just for uh, the idiots like myself on Twitter to see Darius come out and, and look absolutely incredible. JB played him, I think, 42 minutes. That, that's one thing I love about JB. He is not shy about <laughs> throwing the guys out as much as needed to win. Um, but, Evan, I was really curious to see what, what Darius was going to look like first night back. Obviously, his eye is, is still healing. It, it's not nowhere near. I, I wouldn't say 100% yet. I just wanted to get your thoughts on 
how Darius looked with the eye and, and kind of how you think he impacted more of just the starting lineup, kind of the macro, like how they played stylistically. I think stylistically it's interesting because if you, you have, you have a very limited sample size based on how Darius looked against Toronto and he definitely looked amped up and looked like he wasn't fully comfortable just because Toronto was playing the Cavs just very physically the entire night. And I think obviously him going down early puts that in perspective too, but he looked a lot more comfortable. I think you should give a lot of flowers to Donovan Mitchell because Garland and Mitchell both shared post game that Mitchell was in Garland's ear a lot saying like, every time you get the ball, I want you to shoot it. And the Cavs were kind of force feeding Darius in the first quarter to get him more comfortable and shake off about maybe two weeks worth almost of rust at the end of the day, because that's, that's, it's going to be a difference maker. And I think that kind of just created a snowball effect for the Cavs a little bit. And in terms of the macro stuff, it's it's hard to fully take stock of like, okay, this is what is, is and isn't working between him and Mitchell or just the core four, if you want to call it for that with the Cavs, because it's just one game where they played a full complete game together. But if there's promising returns, I'm sure there's stuff the Cavs liked. I'm sure there's stuff they didn't like either. But at the end of the day, um, it, it looked great. And then the eye, it, it was pretty swollen in post game. still. Like, not as bad, obviously, as it probably was when it first happened and probably the day after. But, like, you could see that there's still a ruptured blood vessel inside his eye. Um, he joked quite a bit that he couldn't see much. But when he saw the first shot go in, he knew it was going to be a good game. Or he's like, like, what did you see tonight? He's like, I saw that we won. And then, like, joked that he could only really see out of one eye at times. And it's good to see him back out there because you could, he said a lot, like it was tough from a mental aspect, just watching his teammates play from the bench because he wanted to be out there just to begin with, because he loves the game of basketball. But I think there's a, there's a sense of FOMO too, when the Cavs are just winning like they were and just like winning in such like interesting and unique fashions that you're like, yeah, I want to get on that. It looks fun. And that's completely understandable from a human aspect, but we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I wonder how they manage his minutes because I know Bakerstaff said like he was on a minutes restriction heading into uh, the game against Boston. And then clearly that got blown out the window as soon as it went to overtime. I believe he had almost 44, 45 minutes against Boston. So if you're trying to restrict his minutes, he didn't do a very good job of it. But I understand why, too, though. He was hot and you went around with a hot hand. And I think Bakerstaff being aware of that is a great thing for him as a coach. But We'll see where it goes. Uh, interested to see how this upcoming road trip goes when it starts in Detroit, and then they go to both Los Angeles teams on Sunday and Monday night. But so far, there's promising returns. It just I, my listeners and readers sometimes get annoyed with me, but like I'd like to have like a very large and cohesive sample size before I can firmly say like, yeah, this is what's working, this is what's not working, because. For as good as Mitchell and Garland looked last night against Boston, like it's fair to say that there could realistically be in the next upcoming games, like they could lay an egg, both of them, or one of them looked kind of bad or they look uncomfortable next to one another. But it it was a good start, and I think more so the fact that it was such a high-caliber opponent definitely makes you feel good about the long-term prospects of those two playing together. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I was thinking of a bad sports cliche of they almost played a little bit of 
um, like a closer role where, where Donovan Mitchell was like the pitcher that came in in the ninth inning and, and played some closer in the fourth quarter. And they utilized Darius Garland was super aggressive early on. And he, he kind of got into the flow of things, got his shot going, got some other guys going with his 11 assists. And I like that, the notion of that, of, you know, getting the other guys going early with, um, with Darius Garland distributing and then having Donovan Mitchell be kind of your ultimate scorer and, and closer in the game. Um, and it was interesting because Donovan Mitchell still got up 27 shots. So just like you said, it's one game. We need to continue to see how those two work together, how they play with one another, how they move off ball whichever one that is um interesting to get a first look at it against a quality opponent was was really fun yeah no it really was and i think that's another interesting thing if you look at just the the, the scope of these two wins against boston they're about five-ish days apart from each other but they won in very different ways as i kind of mentioned when you just compare the knicks game and the celtics game and just how they won like in the first game it was donovan mitchell and more so karis lavert each dropping 41 points apiece and lavert just being hotter than fish grease and then lavert being a factor but not nearly as big a factor the second time around and i think the Cavs again just being more adaptive and reactive to what how defenses are playing them and having different guys step up on a nightly basis and ideally your stars are the ones that step up on a nightly basis and that's certainly been the case with donovan mitchell and then with darius garland last night but i think this Cavs team is uniquely built where and GP Bickerstaff alluded to this a little bit that they're, they're going to start to try and find that balance, but Bickerstaff wants to maybe play like a little bit of basketball socialism, as Steve Kerr would say, where you have your core guys where you expect them to have strong nights on a nightly basis. But if like one of those guys has an off night, you can have a guy who's waiting in the wings to step up on their behalf, or it just becomes a completely different ball game. Like against the Knicks, it was Dean Wade and Kevin Love alongside Donovan Mitchell that just really buried New York that night. And you then saw Dean Wade have a factor, be a factor against Boston, but Kevin Love not so much. And so it's an interesting dynamic the Cavs have. And again, it's just they're very multifaceted in how they approach things with a touch of modernity in their offense because now they're just bombs away from three times. And speaking of bombs away from three, we are fully on the Jetty Osman uh, roller coaster, right? So we all know how hot of a start Osman had to the season. In the last three games, Osman's gone one for six against Boston, one for seven against the Knicks, and last night just 0 for three, only 13 minutes. So um, it, I don't think it's much of a shocker to, to the Cavs fans that have seen Osman and, and the experience you get from him um, over the last few years, but he's going to be hot and he, he's going to not be hot. And I think good thing is that we we spoke about this last week too. JB has the options, and he's he's going to pull the trigger when, when guys are hot. He's going to play the hot hand. That's one of the, I think, the best things about this team and the, you know, eight, nine guys that they really want to play at this point in the season is, you know, four of those guys um, are pretty interchangeable to JB, I think, mm -hmm. at this point, and he's going to roll with whoever is hot. So uh, just a good demonstration of, of how JB is going to run things. And um, with, with Osmond cooling off a little bit, I don't know about you, Evan, but I've just been so impressed with what Dean Wade has done this season not not only the hot shooting which of course is not going to stay exactly where it's at right now it's it's going to come down to earth but the defense man what <laughs> some of the defense he was playing against tatum i know he he had a bad possession when when tatum went in for the dunk and tied it up but before then man I, he it, he doesn't look like he's stranded out there i mean I, it says a lot to me that you know this coaching staff puts him on their best the celtics best player in in closing time and 
he's just in the right position a lot. I just love what I see from from Dean Wade at, at the three at times. No, I, I love it too. Um, it's fascinating to see because, one, Dean Wade is – a feather in the cap of the Cavs organization of utilizing him in the charge to develop him, but he doesn't seem too overwhelmed by the moment, which is nice. And I think if you're asking him to be your fifth, sixth, seventh option on offense, depending on how you want to utilize him, he's giving you exactly what you need, which is three point shooting, sometimes some interior creation or just some drive to the basket uh, rebounding. He isn't laterally the quickness quickest, but he still plays really well defensively and like hustles and just plays hard in general, which is enjoyable. And it's an interesting dialogue people are having like, oh, well, should Dean Wade stay in the starting lineup or should Karis LeVert stay in there? And I think it's a good problem to have if you're Cleveland on figuring out like who your fifth starter is in this starting lineup. But Dean Wade definitely has carved out a spot in this rotation. I, I certainly think the contract helps his case and just in giving him minutes to begin with. But like he's more than earned those spots as well at times. And he's just, he's been great. Like you said, like he's been really well. And like against Boston, especially there was a stint in the second quarter where he drew two pretty quick fouls on the Celtics and was just kind of making an impact by being a deterrent. And sure, he wasn't having like a huge, huge night offensively like he had the other night when he had a career high against the Knicks, but it's it's been going really well for him so far. And he was asked about it the other day, I believe either practice or shoot around, like, did you expect to be this good of a three-point shooting team? And he's like, no, not really. He's like, yeah, we went Donovan, like it's going to change things a little bit, but he's like, it's been fun. And I know he and Karis Laverta both kind of joked about it, like when they played Philly in the preseason, that they haven't had this open looks in a long time, just considering camp and just how last season went for them. So I think Dean Wade just kind of being like a consistent glue guy for the Cavs is a really helpful thing. And more so when you look at it, like let's say Kevin Love eventually ages out of the rotation or just ages out of Cleveland. He goes elsewhere next offseason. And if you're the Cavs, hopefully you try to keep him around because he's positive in the locker room and just, you know, having him retire as a Cavalier would be nice. But at the end of the day as well, Love is going to slow down. Obviously he's getting older. Like the athleticism wasn't really there to begin with, but he somehow connected on the dunk, even though Darius Garland said it was more of a stuff than a jam. But, um, <laughs> and Dean Wade is kind of primed to like soak up a lot of those Kevin love minutes as like your primary reserve four in those rotations. And then maybe you look at other things and whether it's the free agency or like you're, you're developing Mamadidi Akite and um, Isaiah Mobley with the charge right now. And then there's guys like Chandler Vaudrin or even Sam Merrill, who could be interesting too. We're like, at least when I talked to um, charge GM, uh, Brendan, you about it, he's like, those four players I mentioned are NBA caliber guys. They just need time to grow, develop and season so that they can crack the rotation. And if you're the Cavs, who are pretty top heavy in terms of their salary and their big four, especially when Evan Moley signs that mammoth extension, that's going to be on the horizon soon. You need cheap rotation depth like that. And Dean Wade is a good example of this and hopefully is a positive sign of how things go. I know I'm getting really meta with this right now, but <laughs> it's just it, it, Dean Wade is just such a good guy to talk to. Like he seems like a good guy on the court. He seems like a good guy off the court. Like, nothing but good things to say about him and just his play style really fits and meshes well with what the Cavs kind of need from that fifth, sixth man. Because if you're always playing Donovan Mitchell, or Darius Garland, or one of Jared Allen or Evan Mobley, just surround it with shooting. And it's just mm -hmm. so much, the offense will just kind of be so much easier for your star players at the end of the day. 
one lineup that we saw last night um, when Boston went small was Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Karis LeVert, Dean Wade, and Evan Mobley at the five. And it was just one another example of what you mentioned earlier, just the different tactical options this coaching staff has in their arsenal. But thinking about having four capable shooters um, – you know, around Evan Mobley is just a really interesting kind of scary thought. So, yeah, love the flexibility that Dean Wade brings. And speaking of Dean Wade, those are the kind of guys that you want to have in daily fantasy. So we over at WFNY waiting for next year, have got a great deal with Underdog Fantasy for first-time depositors. Enter in the code WFNY at checkout. And Underdog will match your deposit up to $100. Underdog is a great platform if you're tired of the DFS salary system. Tons of games, types of drafts every single night for any sport you can think of. Don't forget to use WFNY at checkout to get your first-time deposit matched up to $100. And if you play those kinds of games, you know exactly. You don't always want to go for the high-salary guy. You need the guy who's going to explode for 30 points like a Karis LeVert, like a Dean Wade. So give it a check out over at Underdog Fantasy WFNY. Uh, so, Evan, I wanted to hit on – so we've got our we've got our Thursday trivia this week. So you're, you're mm-hmm. one for one so far. But before we get to our Thursday trivia um, – I think it's it's a decent point. It's too early to make any grand statements, but I think it's time for, at least for myself, to go back and kind of rethink what we've seen so far over the basketball landscape in the Eastern Conference. And as I went into this season and started to think about expectations for this Cavaliers team, um, you know, my number one goal was really avoid the play-in tournament. It was you know, top six seed, avoid the plan and, and have this young core get a, you know, a four game, at least minimum four game series under their belts. There's been a lot that's happened <laughs> over the NBA season. James Harden, it was just announced he's going to be out for a month. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets are are all over the news for a lot of bad reasons. Um, a couple teams in the East have, have impressed. A couple of teams in the East have, have not. So, I don't want to go through every single team, but I was hoping, Evan, that you and I could go through and maybe we make two tiers tonight. The first can be, we'll call it the East Elite, and these are who we consider to be the finals, potential finals representatives kind of in that tier. And then just one tier below that, kind of who you see as the challengers to those East Elite teams. So the top tier would be, you know, who do you think is a great candidate to come out of the East and represent in the finals? And then just the tier below that, call that the, you know, the challengers to that elite team. I know I'm kind of throwing this on the spot at you. So maybe I can mm-hmm. start, Evan, with the East Elite, kind of who's in my East Elite top bracket, and then I'll yeah, kick it over go to you. For it. Yeah. So no surprise that Milwaukee Bucks undefeated. What they've been able to do without Chris Middleton has been, frankly, just pretty unbelievable. It, I've gotten a chance to watch a couple of their games. Robin Lopez is doing stuff that he's never frankly done in his career. He's, he's always been a great shot blocker, but this year it's even another level. I don't know how he's doing it. The three-point shooting is there for him, and, and Giannis is just the best player in, in the world. So uh, to me, they're probably 1A in that top tier. Next up is Boston. I think if Robert Williams can come back, um, they're just an extremely formidable team that uh, is athletic as all get out. And I think Brogdon, uh, the pickup of, of Brogdon is just so big for them. Someone that can distribute. They don't have a true point guard on their team. So I think that was a, that was a big pickup as my dog barks in the background here. Um, and then my last team in, in that elite top tier is going to be the Cavaliers. Um, I know it's early, um, 
what they've done so far this year, how well Donovan Mitchell's played. Um, I have to put him in that category. I, I just have to. <laughs> and that's my fandom sticking out. I Maybe your dog's agreeing with you. Maybe your dog's disagreeing with you. But I, I agree. I think the Cavs, at least for now, have certainly made the argument that they belong in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. I think, again, two strong wins against the Celtics in two very different ways certainly puts in perspective. Like, sure, the Celtics are missing Robert Williams, and they are not very good defensively to start the season. But And they're a bit of a mess just in terms of coaching with this Dean Yudoka situation or the fact that uh, their current coach just – likes to sit on his timeouts quite a bit. It, it's fascinating to kind of see how their new coaching situation is working for them. But I think the Celtics do belong in that conversation at the end of the day. And so does Cleveland just because they have made those two stadium wins. Uh, another team I think in this group is obviously Milwaukee. Uh, they have Giannis, they have Chris, they have uh resurging Brooke Lopez. They have Drew Holiday. Like the, the Cavs play Milwaukee twice in November. And I think that's going to be must-see TV just in terms of, hey, if Cleveland pulls off, if they go one and one or two and oh against the Bucks, like, yeah, I think you can really start to say, like, okay, the Cavs are legit this year. Like, JD has found lightning in a bottle for the second year in a row. This Cavs team is just attacking in so many different ways, but I think they are the contenders. And Philly, that I was never super high on them in the beginning, but just because they always flame out in the playoffs. But with Doc Rivers looking like he could get fired, and then James Harden being out, and Joel Embiid maybe having questions of his longevity, and then like Tyrese Maxey, like this is my hot take. I think Tyrese Maxey is more so Malcolm Brogdon uh, in Milwaukee situation, where like Brogdon was the benefactor of playing alongside a bunch of star caliber players, and then looked like he had inflated stats because of it. And, like I think Maxey's very, very good. It's just is he that good if you put him in an individual situation like by himself like if he isn't playing next to James Harden and Joel Embiid are you going to get the same impact from him I don't think so but for now like the the cream that has risen to the top for the for the Eastern Conference I think in no particular order it's Milwaukee Boston and Cleveland and it's some mix of those and then the Cavs further bolden their claim in that group if they do handle business with milwaukee or even if they lose like look strong and like don't look like they look overwhelmed playing arguably the best team in the league right now because that's the only like one of the only undefeated teams left mm. yeah yeah i, I think milwaukee is just it, it's just so damn impressive what drew is able to do what giannis uh does when he's locked in i mean he's always locked in he's the hardest he's one of the hardest playing players in the league but it's just special to watch them right now and maybe since you and i both gave three teams on that top tier maybe we'll try to let's try to match that let's try to do three teams on that next tier so we're not, we're not going to talk about the indiana pacers or the charlotte hornets here but that next tier of who we think if not for those three teams who do we think is challenging those to to possibly represent the east in the finals i've got three teams Evan, then I'll rattle off that I think are are probably in that next tier, and it's it's early. I, I you know I initially had Cleveland kind of in this tier before the start of the season, obviously before their hot start, but in that next what we'll call kind of that challengers tier, I think Toronto is is right there. Uh, love their coach, very smart, bunch of hardworking guys. Um, We'll see if their shooting can come around enough for them to win enough games, but just with how physical they play, I think they've got a shot against most teams. Um, Atlanta, I think they're sitting at five and three right now. So far, the the Murray trade looks looks pretty decent for them. He's putting up good statistics. I think they're both over seven assists, him and Trey Young, both over seven assists per game. Need to see a lot more of it, but I think their starting five is, is pretty dang good if, if they want to get really short in the playoffs. They lost some of their key depth that they had last, last year, which really helped them uh, over Cleveland. Mm-hmm. But I think 
Atlanta's in that tier. And then I can't quit Miami, man. I, I know they're, <laughs> they're aging, but I just so much respect for Spo that I just can't quite kick them down to that next tier, but they're, they're right on the line for me, man. They don't have much left for <laughs> until they get demoted for me. I think that's a fair assessment. I think we agree with two of the teams for sure. I think Toronto is definitely in this conversation. Um, like, like you said, the, the Raptors play very well. I know, Cass fans don't like to hear this, but uh, Darius Garland himself said the Gary Trent Jr. play was a basketball play at the end of the day. Um, I think the Raptors, if they improve their shooting, like you said, they could be a very different team at the end of the day. Uh, we'll obviously just see how things go. Atlanta, I absolutely agree with. Like, I was high on them getting DeJounte Murray because I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's the guy you kind of want putting next to Trey Young because, sure, the shooting isn't there with Murray, but I think Young is just such a nuclear level three-point threat that it kind of counterbalances what DeJounte Murray can provide you. And then the, the, the defense Murray gives you at the end of the day really counterbalances things well. Um just really plays them tough and it's just like those two are dynamic and then we have john collins who for whatever reason the hawks are always looking trade but i think he's great i like uncle Lou. i like clink i like deandre hunter um they did lose some other depth like you said to kind of be able to afford Dejounte murray but like they're playing super duper well and i think that's just a great place to be like i don't know like they still have to figure out a few things but they could maybe eat their way into that fourth spot but i don't know if they will necessarily leapfrog the Raptors in the process because I think Toronto could really be on the precipice of things just based on how they level up and just how well Pascal Siakam's playing to start the season. And I think this is where I put the Sixers at this point, just because yeah, James Harden's out for the next month. Um, yes, Joel Embiid is kind of showing some cracks a little bit just uh, physically. Uh, I know I just dumped all over Tyrese Maxey, <laughs> but they do have Tobias Harris, who's a good player. Like I like DeAnthony Melton. Like Furkan Korkmaz is a good player. I think PJ Tucker is a good player for them too. Like it was a great pickup. Like I think he's showing his how long of the teeth he is, but like he's a good player. Like Paul Reed's fun. Like I Daniel House Jr. is a good pickup as well for them. Matisse Thibel. Like I know it's probably going to be a trade chip for the Sixers at the end of the day, but like he's interesting enough. And then. I don't know. Like, I think the Sixers, they have to figure out a lot of things internally. I think Doc Rivers needs to kind of wake up and not be so asleep at the wheel. But Joel Embiid is an MVP caliber player at the end of the day, and I think that just gives them an edge. Yeah. And when James Harden does come back and when he's fully healthy, like the Sixers are, do have the potential to be dynamic. It's just can they capitalize on that potential and just regain that firm grasp they were supposed to have in the East when they first traded for James Harden and actually make this come to fruition. So I can stop giving my buddy Jordan Christmas a heart, a diehard Sixers fan, a really hard time every time the Sixers flame out in the playoffs. <laughs> and we saw dominant Joel Embiid last year without Harden when, when Harden was hurt. And I mean, it, it may be some of the, I, I think there's a, there's something to be said potentially for a little bit of um, addition by subtraction of, I mean, Hart, there's some advanced stats out there with how much Harden's dribbling and how limited, how much more limited it's been for Embiid in terms of where he gets the ball in, in the paint versus doing pick and roll. And, and maybe, maybe it could really unlock uh, Embiid to, to really start down the path that he was on last year with, uh, without Harden. So I'm, I'm very curious to see they're what four and five right now, very curious yeah. to see what they look like, um, without Harden and, you know, if, if that could, uh, you know, how much they change their style of play and if that can re reinvigorate them a bit or, or kind of where it takes them. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes to. And like, they did start 0 three to start the season. And then 
are four and two in their last six. So they're, they're turning it around. I think losing Harden is going to be big. And they do have a rougher stretch coming up. Like, yeah, New York's not great, but that's a tough game. Then they play Phoenix, Atlanta twice, and then the curiously hot Utah Jazz, and then the Milwaukee Bucks just to kind of like close out the six game slate I've mentioned. Like, that they're. I think they're going to be tested, but they're going to be in an okayish place. And then they play cupcake games like Charlotte and Orlando and Houston and the Lakers and then the Hornets again. And then the the Pistons as well as they kind of head towards the end of the year this year. So like the, fil- the, the Sixers have an opportunity to gain that momentum and just kind of get back into the swing of things. But again, it's just can they survive losing Harden and can Joel Embiid kind of reemerge in that MVP form that we saw last season? Yeah. What one other question I have for you before we get off this topic? This is a funky team for me. Where do you have the Bulls this year? They're they're currently five and four. They we still have no idea when once Lonzo Ball is going to come back. DeRozan has put out some just insane statistical performances. Levine had a big game the other night when they beat Brooklyn. Do do you think that they could move up into that second tier for you? Or are you just are you not getting into the hype until you know potentially Lonzo comes back? So I am on the record of always being very high on the Chicago Bulls on paper because they make a lot of sense. Like Lonzo, like you said, we don't know when he will be back necessarily. Um, the knee surgery is troublesome. He's had knee issues since his, either his rookie year or his second year in the league with the Lakers. But I like what the Bulls have assembled. Like I like Vucevic. Like I, I know I meme about Andre Drummond a lot, but he's a high quality backup for them. Um, Patrick Williams is still pretty raw, but has a lot of upside on either end of the floor. Uh, DeMar DeRozan is an all-star and one of the best players in the East. Zach Levine's really, really good too. And he's kind of still nursing his way back to the floor after dealing with some knee issues to start the season. Ayo Desunmo is really good too. I like Alex Caruso. Like the, the Bulls have an interesting, and Billy Donovan's a great coach as well. Like the Bulls have an interesting collection of talents, just can they kind of get it together like you asked me and like i don't know we'll see they kind of underperform expectations every time like the bulls last season i believe flamed out in the first round if i remember correctly so like at least they made the playoffs but they aren't going to make a ton of noise and again if lonzo was healthy because like i'm very high on lonzo ball just because i like bigger point guards that play defense like that um maybe like they'd be in a very different spot because Lonzo just make made so so much sense especially just next to Zach Levine at the end of the day but who knows maybe the Bulls are a trade away from go getting going and getting like a certain piece that just pushes them over the edge of the point guard spot don't know who it's gonna be uh maybe Damian Lillard just gets so fed up with the situation the Bulls consolidate (laughs) some pieces and they go get him and like that's real scary hour stuff but We shall see what happens. I think the Lonzo news is just a bummer. Oh, yeah, Goran Dragic as well, playing supremely great for the Bulls too. Like, it's just it's a bummer because Lonzo's injury just is really kind of setting them back because he makes so much sense with a lot of the pieces on this roster. And we'll see if he's healthy and he looks right and he's able to just cobble together like a healthy string of games. Like, I think the Bulls could make a push and maybe push back into that second tier where they kind of kind of flip-flop things a little bit, maybe with Philly, or maybe that we expanded from a three-team field to a four-team field with Chicago, kind of like in that thick of like maybe a playoff team, but possibly a play-in team. Yep. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. They, I think they're they're right on the edge for me after um, I had Miami. Caruso, such a good perimeter defender, mm-hmm. and they have two guys with Levine and DeRozan. If they get hot, they can both give you forty. So it's a, yeah. they're almost Cavs esque without the the dynamic defensive bigs, you know. So they yeah. but they they've got some absolute studs that that can score the basketball, which makes them pretty dangerous. Um, okay, well we're we're almost at minute forty, so we'll, we got to get you out of here, Evan, with some trivia. So got it. some got some trivia for you this week. I, I went all the way to nba.com slash stats slash players slash hustle. So we're going to hustle player stats this week for you. Um, it should be a pretty good one. I'm I'm excited. Uh, what we're looking at tonight, Evan, is contested shots. And the way that the NBA has has broken contested shots down is they're tracking how many contested two-point shots per game and how many contested three-point shots per game. And, and then you have your aggregate number. Um, mm-hmm. And so the trivia question for tonight will be only one team in the NBA has two players that are both in the top 10 in total contested shots per game. Can you name that team and who those two players are? Well, this might be a bit of a cheat because I was researching this for my story for today. So I know it's Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Damn it. Um, it's the Cavs. Um, it's that they're, they're really good defensively this year. More so like Mobley in isolation and then just like Allen just not really letting anything score. Anybody score at the rim like – the dichotomy of those two defensively is just fascinating. Like Mobley only allowing one isolation bucket this entire season to Pascal Siakam in the season opener is still crazy to me. And the fact that he like keeps going out and challenging guys like Jason Tatum on the perimeter, like I'm excited to watch him defend LeBron on Sunday, but sorry, man, I don't mean to steal your thunder. But I was just like, Oh, I know this one. It's, it's Mobley and Allen top 10, but they aren't in the top three it's brooke lopez who is just having the craziest career renaissance still oh man i tried to give you a pop quiz and you did your homework you're like all right professor i'm gonna stuff it in your big fat face so kudos on you you're officially two and one on the year in trivia very nicely oh, done we take those <laughs> yeah for the record uh evan mobley contesting 12.6 shots per game jared allen right behind him at 12.1 so that, that shouldn't be a shock but um, just something notable that I think it's pretty special when when two of your big guys are in the top ten and contested shots per game. That means absolutely. they care. It's their identity, and man, it's fun. It is absolutely fun, man. And okay, next time I will not do any studying whatsoever. I'm going to come in completely blind. Yeah, please stop writing articles and doing your you know doing your day job. It's disrespectful to the, the Thursday fair. trivia we have here. So <laughs> no, but uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and wrap up. Nicely done, Evan. Um, before we before we close, um, any last thoughts, nuggets, takeaways you had from last night's game? Uh, it, again, it's just really good win for the Cavs. I think seeing Darius Garland back out there definitely gave them a shot in the arm, and I don't think they would have won that game without Garland out there at the end of the day. Like I can heap in a, as much praise on Donovan Mitchell as possible, and maybe he goes for forty plus again against Boston if he's the only offensive option. But Karis LeVert has come back down to earth, and I don't think the Celtics are gonna defend Cleveland quite like they did last night if it's just the Donovan Mitchell show and they become certainly a little bit more one-dimensional in that regard so yeah this this is a fun Cavs team to kind of watch grow up in real time and learn from the bitter taste of how they lost the play in last season and they lost down the stretch at times last season to kind of not crumple under like high intensity pressure games that are playoff like like this one was 
Yep. Yeah. And as, as Cavs fans, we just got to enjoy it because it's been a hell of a ride and looking very much forward to the next couple of games. And even this, this weekend series, I mean, it's, it's fun going on those West coast road trips. We're all going to be getting a little bit of less sleep uh, over the weekend, but good news there. I think it's a Saturday, Sunday game, so we can, we'll yeah. sleep when we're dead. Right. So yeah, we'll uh, but... we're dead. it's also daylight savings is coming too. So we'll be getting an hour of sleep back. So it's just a small victory, you know? Yeah. You, you take them over a long season, especially yourself. Right. So you'll, you'll take that. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. Well, well, thank you everybody for listening. We're, we're aiming to do this weekly. So, you know, look for us again next week. Uh, follow us here at am not Evan, please read, write down Euclid, listen to him daily locked on Cavs. Evan, thanks so much for joining and appreciate everyone listening. Have a good night. Thanks. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.